Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 171. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. I almost totally forgot how to do this. I was like, uh, what do I need? <laughs> what are the accoutrements? A microphone? A computer? <laughs> and a good attitude. <laughs> yes. We're back. We're back. I'm so happy to be back. So I really am. I I feel so good about – not only do we feel refreshed because we, we got a little break – a uh, much needed break, yes. some rest. Um, but um, so we, I guess I'm just going to say it, you guys. Yeah. We had some uh, existential crises. We did surrounding the <laughs> podcast. For a minute there, we thought that we might take the podcast into a t- completely new direction. I mean, you guys have heard us mention before that we um, that the true crime stuff is starting to get a little bit heavy for us. We just couldn't stomach it the way that we used to. Yeah. Um, and so Sally and I, for a brief period of time, thought about changing the podcast to only doing positive stuff. Yeah. Uh, positive content that you could, you know, uplifting stuff and calling the podcast um, Happy Town. Yeah. And I think we mostly just liked the um, name. <laughs> Yes. I think we got really fell in love with the name of the podcast called Happy Town. And and we were just, you know, we were trying to figure out something that was like more sustainable for us and um, something that we could be excited about. And we realized we are excited about Dumb Love. Yeah. What we just were burnt out. We just yes. were burnt out. And I think you guys all could tell. Um, and we had friends who listened who were like, yeah, we can tell you're you're kind of out of it and we're like well we can't help it <laughs> we're like we were so busy it was a real a real uh it was a long year a long last year it's been it a long was. a long three years but we yes this podcast has been through a lot I was actually thinking about the this morning like the amount of things that we have been through life-wise yes throughout the last few years over the podcast I know I was thinking you know? so this is like a little heavy but I remember I mean when we started the podcast we had to delay our start because remember I had a miscarriage. Yes. That was I do. like and then and then my mom died. And you know, you had like a family tragedy. And then the pandemic and and then, and then sad divorce apartment. And divorced and I know. <laughs> and, and then recording died. in my t- yeah, both my dogs died. <laughs> just a lot of bullshit. Guys. And so it was like we just needed a little break but um but we even went so far as to and i do feel like because it's so good and we paid for it that we should play it on the podcast (laughs) um but we had a new theme song made and everything for happy town by our good friend matt pesciany who is a genius uh he's made both of our theme songs yeah uh, for dumb love and happy town um sally i'm sure you can insert it yep so people can hear it um well, does true crime bring you down? Do you see death all around? Well, don't you worry, people follow Jen and Sally down to Happy Town. 
it um, we really did love it. But when it came down to actually uh, cutting the cord to dumb love, we weren't. We realized that we didn't want to do it. Yeah, we because we, we, um, we love it too much. Yeah, we went to a dinner, fully ready to talk about how we were going to transition. Because remember, our last episode, we were like, "We're going to have new stuff in the new year. We're going to make some changes. We hope you guys are excited. We're going to get ready." And um, and so we had we've talked a couple times about like what we were going to do. We've been having we had this plan for a couple months, and we were kind of waiting until everything in our lives kind of slowed down to really make the change. And then we sat down at dinner and we both were like, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I love dumb love. Um, we feel like we have something like really special. And um, I think we just didn't also, well, yes, we love it so much. It's near and dear to us. But then we also just, it would have broke our hearts to tell everybody that keeps telling us, please don't, <laughs> please don't quit. <laughs> We just didn't want to quit on you. So, yeah. So, we're I hope back. you'll be happy. Yeah, we're back. So, we're, we are going to do things a little bit differently. Um, not a lot. Don't worry. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to Everything's do- in Spanish. Every- <laughs> Everything. This, what Jen and I have been doing over the last month is learning Spanish. Yes. Hola, mi amigos. We'll do like a, a what you've come to know is like a full episode um, every other week. And then in the weeks in between, we're going to do um, something special. We're going to have quickies and then also have guests. Yes, um, which I'm and, very excited about. Yes. And so because we've been wanting to like bring guests on and we're trying to figure out a way to do it. And I think this is going to be um, a great way. So it'll be like every other week will be a guest episode and then we'll have um, our regular dumb and love crazy true crime stories and love stories. Um so it'll be pretty much what you guys, but then with some added bonus stuff. So, um, so we're excited. I feel reinvigorated. I'm feel recommitted, and I'm excited. I'm yes. Excited for dumb love. We hope you guys <laughs> are too. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you know what? Is an app. Let's get into our quickies. Let's do it. Okay. So my quickie this week comes from an article for the New York Post written by Asia Grace. Okay, um, this week, a newly married Heather Lynn posted a video on TikTok that showed a bunch of wedding photos to her husband, Travis. They got married in October and she posted shots of their wedding photos on TikTok. But what TikTok caught and they did not catch was a close-up of her bridesmaid holding the hand of her husband while they're all standing on the altar. And the hand was placed on his crotchal region. Wait, while they were getting married or while they were getting pictures taken? While they were getting pictures on the altar, like they were kissing and they were on the altar. So the bride and groom are kissing, but there is a photo of her bridesmaid holding her husband's hand, which is also placed like – very yeah. close to his groin. Oh. And so uh, it got a hundred, I'm sorry, 18.1 million views on TikTok because everybody was wondering, like, why the hell is this woman groping your husband? And of uh-huh. course, everyone commented all kinds of things like, uh, what is this, a sister wife? Or, or like writing, yep, he smashed that or whatever. Um, and in a separate TikTok, 
um, Heather, and it does, it looks really bad. Like the pictures yeah. look really bad and I will share. It looks like she's like caressing his peen. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> but the bride and like, groom. There was a, there was a, a mosquito there. It was yeah, just, he, it was like, like pat, pat, pat. <laughs> But apparently, so in a separate TikTok, the bride and groom uh, came um, posted together explaining why, um, what that photo was and what happened there. Apparently, uh, not only had they been drinking uh, quite quite a lot, uh, or especially this bridesmaid, um, but the photographer told them to do a silly photo and so everybody just started getting silly and she when she started to get silly she started to fall uh-huh. and so she grabbed his hand because she was about to fall because the person that she was standing next to um another groomsman um that was standing to, to her right um he was actually an amputee and um as they said he was on his last leg and so he didn't he didn't have support to catch her so yeah. she grabbed his hand um so that she wouldn't fall um because she just lost her balance but and then um, brought it right into his dick <laughs> yeah and then she just while she like, was there Janet, she was we like said i might as well Touch his pee pee. Janet, we met bunny ears. Yeah. <laughs> Not funny, like, grub. Not assault. <laughs> Did I yeah. ever tell you that I remember when I was like just starting to go on the road doing stand up, and um, there was this club owner who sucks in, uh, in Indianapolis, and a friend brought me to do a guest set. He was headlining and he was like, hey, why don't you come do a guest set? You know, maybe you can get work at this club. And um, and so we all went out with this club owner afterwards because that's like the thing some place it used to be not as much anymore where it's like, if you want to work here, you got a party, you know, with like the people that own the club. So he was like, we're out afterwards. And he had kind of been like lukewarm about my set. And um, what and a then, dick. What a dick. And then he so then he goes, he's like super drunk and he's like i gotta introduce you to my friend this is my friend jane uh she's so funny she's the funniest woman i know if you want to be funny you gotta be funny like her she's so funny and i was like oh it's so funny what makes her so funny she's comedian he goes oh no she like does stuff like goes up to guys at bars and like grabs their dicks i was like oh my god that's what we think a funny woman is okay oh, and i was like man. i'm never that's never why gonna men work here hate us <laughs> right we're not grabbing enough dicks, Jen. Damn it. <laughs> and I never worked at that club, but now it's closed, so that's fine. Oh, probably from all the dick grabbing, somebody yeah. was sued. Also, I think it was like money laundering, but. <clears throat> oh, either one. <laughs> either one, both probably. Um, yeah, but the guy, uh, the husband was said he was sorry to disappoint everyone that he's he's not cheating on his new wife. And yeah. He, She's uh, her bridesmaid is not a home wrecker for now. Nice save, guys. (laughs) Nice, uh, nice save. But I do love that that's like it's like an example of (laughs) just kidding. Yeah, (laughs) it's like a good example of like you know, like a picture is not the whole truth. Yes, it's a a moment without context. Um. Back when I used to do – this was years ago. It's funny because it's seasonal now, so it's it's relevant. Um, but 
years ago, I used to do this thing with my friend Gil, Gil Henry Drant. He had a Christmas R&B album. And then we would do like these live shows and they were so fun. And me and two of my friends were his like backup dancers. Um, it was like, it kind of became a Christmas tradition here yeah. in Atlanta. And, um, and there were these pictures that somebody took where it looked very, so his brother Donald was also in the show. He was kind of like the DJ uh-huh. and he was bending down. And um, I have this picture. I'll post it on our, on our, Instagram, but um, he was bending down and it looked like I was staring right at his butt crack. Like I was like, oh, like look at him. But I wasn't. I was looking at the set list that was like on his DJ stand. There was yeah. like a list. So I was very much looking at like what is what's next. And uh-huh. but it looked so much like I was like, oh yeah, Donald's butt. I'm gonna get me some butt, but I wasn't. I wasn't. So okay. yes, good save, good save, Jen. Pictures <laughs> don't tell the entire story. Yeah, say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I love that. I love that. that's a great. That's a great quickie. Um, I also have a wedding, a wedding quickie. Um, this is also from the New York Post by uh, Jack Hobbs. And okay, so there is a British singer named Brocardi. And uh, she ended up getting married to Jen. Can you guess? A ghost. <laughs> she married oh, a ghost. I love when people marry ghosts. Yeah. So she met him one night. His name is Eduardo. She met Eduardo one night when he appeared in her bedroom, and then they started um, seeing each other ever since. And so she named said ghost. I don't know. I mean, because who knows that's a if- great. If you're gonna name. A ghost. A ghost that you're going to marry. Yeah. Eduardo, Eduardo obviously. It's a great name. Yeah. Um, and so she uh, – they they were dating for a long time and then apparently <laughs> after – What did that look like? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? The New York Post doesn't go like into deep detail on this, but um, she says that they hit a rough patch because – they in in the New York Post they say the couple hit a rough patch after Eduardo allegedly ghosted her for disclosing their relationship in public. So of course she went on the internet and was like, "I'm in love with a ghost," and he was like, "Oh, why are you taking a relationship public?" And so then she wrote a song for him because of course she's a singer, and so she said she wrote the song to win Eduardo back after he ghosted me for publicly disclosing our romance. I wanted it to express the passion I feel within my soul ever since meeting Eduardo. Um, so they got back together and they- Oh, I thought um, you were going to sing the song. You're not going to sing the song. No, but I do think it, there is a video of it. So if there is, oh, I'll post it. Okay. <laughs> the whole, yeah, there's a video of their wedding. Um, so they ended up deciding to get married. Uh, the wedding was open to both the living and the dead. Okay, uh, that's and fair. Appar- yeah, know. and apparently- it was a star-studded affair because Elvis was there, Marilyn Monroe was there, King Henry VIII was there, and as Ed, as she walked down the aisle towards Eduardo, she sang the song that she wrote for him, mm-hmm. and she says she will never forget the smile on his face. The honeymoon didn't last long because um, at the reception, Eduardo could not get over how beautiful Marilyn Monroe was. 
She oh, said, yeah. Okay. The singer said, Eduardo just couldn't resist winding me up and made inappropriate comments about her looking hot. I was like, wow, really? It's our wedding day. You completely ruined my evening. Um, so they decided to go on a honeymoon. It was supposed to be a relaxing trip to the beach. But she said, Eduardo was trying to be passionate with her and romantic by wrestling her to the ground to frolic in the sand. But she had an ice cream cone that she was trying to share with him. So the ice cream cone ended up going all over her hair and in her face, and then the sand stuck to it. So she said, it looked like I'd been in a fight with a giant seagull. Oh, my God. Was that part caught on video? Because oh I would love to see that. No, but I wish. Because can you imagine being like a person from the outside being like, what the fuck is happening is to that, that woman? Why is she rubbing an ice cream cone all over herself? And be like, where is stop it? Oh my God. Uh, She said what should have been an amazing honeymoon from that point on was just ruined. Apparently, he's ruined a lot of things. Like, get your shit together. I mean, how many real people do you have out there willing to marry a dead guy? Exactly. Like, do you think you could do better than her? I mean, she's real hot and she's a singer. Um, She said Eduardo's always been unpredictable. So it's typical that he would ruin our honeymoon. And she also is kind of complaining because she says that she always has to pick up the tab everywhere they visit. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> because so obviously weird. he doesn't have a bank card. Uh, she says he certainly likes to go wild. Get a fucking job, Eduardo. Get a, get a ghost job. Why don't you go haunt some – like a haunted house? Get a job. Like what do their dates look like? Like do they go to Benihana's and <laughs> – And he like just like tosses shrimp at – a blank, an empty chair. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, he caught it. She pays for two two people? Well, she said oh. that they he likes to go wild in hotel room mini bars. And that like. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So, says, okay, he doesn't work. And, okay. <laughs> she's a fucking freeloader. Get, get rid of this ghost. <laughs> get rid of this ghost. <laughs> get rid of this ghost real fucking quick. She said liquor bottles are always mysteriously left empty aside from the gin bottle because he obviously is not partial to that spirit. Okay. Um, she said that her husband insisted that the newlyweds buy 12 bottles of the best champagne upon arrival at their hotel, which I just am like, oh, Brocardi, I think maybe you're just an alcoholic and you think you have a ghost husband. Oh, um, yeah. Like, do you think she, like, blacks out? And she's like, oh, Eduardo, <laughs> you're at it again. Um, oh. But she says that he's really jealous at Christmas. She just released a brand new single called It's Christmas Again, which is about what it's like to be the wife of a ghost at Christmas time. And she said, Eduardo gets really jealous at Christmas. I tried every day this week to put up a Christmas tree, but he just keeps knocking it over. He hates the thought of Santa coming down the chimney, and he even tried to board it up. I've told him that Santa visits everyone, and he doesn't have a crush on me, but he just doesn't understand. Okay, I have a question. Does Eduardo <laughs> leave burnt frozen pizzas in the oven? Like Does- When she wakes up in the morning, <laughs> is there a charred... DiGiorno or Red Baron <laughs> in the oven and the oven is still on. Yeah. I mean, this literally, this can all be explained that she is a blackout drunk. It's like yes. every day the Christmas tree is knocked over. I think wow. I know what's going on, Brocardi. Mm. Man. Or she has a ghost husband. Or he's just an asshole. He's, he's a <laughs> he's a deadbeat. <laughs> <laughs> 
There you go. There's your pun. That's that's my Christmas present to you, Sally. But um, bum. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for the first crazy story of 2023? Yes, I am. Great. Then you better not air this before <laughs> 2023. <laughs> Deal? Deal. Okay. Great, great, great. Okay. Um, I'm very excited to present this to you. Um, <laughs> so my story this week came from an article for Yahoo.com by Benjamin Smith, um, an article for Cinemaholic, and then also an episode of Snap. We're going back to the base. Yes, we're back, baby. <laughs> um, Ray Jacoby was born on April 30th, 1954. Um, he was described by friends to be incredibly easygoing and happy-go-lucky. From a very young age, he was obsessed with cars, like race cars. And um, <laughs> they, you know, like cars, you know, cars. Uh, race cars. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm so out of practice, you guys. <laughs> There's something you've gone. You're like having a stroke. Cars, cars, race cars. You know, you know cars. <laughs> Four wheels, they turn. Um, yes, I'm losing it. Um, okay, uh, so if you guys can only see me right now, you would think I was losing my god. I'm sitting. I'm always cold in the winter. I'm sitting here with like socks, slippers, and a giant blanket wrapped around my entire body <laughs> while recording and a cup of tea like an old grandma Ooh, anyway a cup of tea yeah it's good <laughs> so anyway um he loved cars people said that it basically defined him as a person like it, it, all he did was race cars um yeah uh, he started racing on dirt tracks when he was a teenager and it just kind of took over his whole life. Um, he was married briefly right out of high school, but that marriage didn't work out. And shortly thereafter, he met a young woman named Diane Petty at a breakfast place called the R&R Saloon. Diane was a waitress there. And when Ray saw her, it was just love at first sight. It was all over. Mm -hmm. um, according to their son, she um, he said that his mom told him that when um, she met Ray, she thought he was, quote, Handsome, nice, and happy. And that's what did it for her. Hey, I get that. That's yeah. what you really need to be, right? Yeah. Just nice, 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 and happy. Just be that's cool, what? man. Just, just be cool, be man. Cool. Why can't people just be cool? <laughs> they married in the mid-70s, and they had a son named Ron in 1977. Ray loved Diane immensely, um, but his first love was racing cars. And so after a while, that just got to be too much for Diane, um, just yeah. because he spent all of his time and energy racing cars. And they also up felt like really dangerous, you know? Like that'd be hard when you have a kid. And then yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. They ended up divorcing. Um, he begged her to stay, but she ended up leaving him just because it was too much for her. In the 1980s, Ray became a fixture in the California dirt track scene. It was there that he met a trophy girl named Mary Green. A trophy girls are um, not a trophy wife, totally different thing. A trophy girl was the the girls that like handed out the trophies after the racers won. Okay. Um, Did they so come out? Uh, they come out in like bikinis for no reason. Um, 
In this instance, based off the pictures that I saw, I don't think so. No, it's not like a ring girl. No, it's not like a ring girl. I think it's just somebody that handed him a trophy. Yeah. Okay. So so Mary was a single mother to a young Sam named Chapin. She was kind of a hippie, but she worked a lot of male-dominated jobs is what they said. Like Jay said that she really was not afraid to get her hands dirty. So she worked like as a mechanic and on junkyards and things like that. So they got married and they moved to Trout Creek, Montana, and they opened up their own uh, racetrack called the Tusker Speedway. They ran the track together, but apparently that started to weigh on their relationship, um, working together. Not only just working together, but apparently she had had some inheritance money and they used a lot of that money to open up the racetrack. Yeah. Um, And the problem was that once it opened, Ray was a little too generous with like giving friends and customers like free beer and not charging people for anything, uh-huh. which <laughs> pissed me off too. Just yeah. saying. So Mary didn't <laughs> like that, understandably so. They stayed working together and they were still married tumultuously, according to friends, for decades. They were together, but they divorced in 2003. And the track like kind of went under. And mm. so because he was giving away shit for free. Yeah. And so Ray decided to start a new business and move to Mejia, Texas um, and open up a salvage yard. Um, Even though him and Mary were not together anymore and they were divorced, he really didn't want to leave her with nothing. So he invited her to move with him and run the scrapyard with him. And he he felt kind of responsible for her and for her well-being. So Yeah, because he he, fucked up the business they owned together. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so um, he... Um, even remodeled a warehouse that was um, – he bought a uh, warehouse that was a block away from the scrapyard and he remodeled it to make it into a home for her to live in. Um, and so she ended up going and they opened up the business together. But in 2008, um, when Ray was 55 years old, he decided that he was ready to find a real-life partner, like somebody that he would be with for the rest of his life. He was looking for a wife. And so he started um, doing what most guys do when they're ready to find a wife, which is go to the Philippines and look specifically <laughs> for a mm-hmm, wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, he, which is so cringy, to, you know what I mean? It's yes. like uh, the snaps makes it feel like, so yeah, so he wanted to find a wife. So he went to the Philippines. So like, yeah. it's like, come on. It's like, you no, know, that's disgusting and you're just going because you're gonna offer someone like a green card exactly you're looking for a young hot thing exactly but like snap totally glosses over all of that and makes it sound (laughs) like it was true love Uh and so um, i hope she kills him well so so Eventually, a friend um, introduced in the Philippines introduced him to a 30-year-old Atina Cagadas, who was she was a single mother to a 10-year-old daughter named Charmaine, and they were living in Manila. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, they started out as pen pals; they would write back and forth to each other, and then they started talking on the phone. And then on May 3rd of 2009, he actually went to the Philippines for two weeks to spend time with her. So during those two weeks, he actually proposed to Atina. And she thought that he was joking, um, but he just told her, like, like, I've just met you. Exactly. Um, And um, she 
told him that um, he told her that he was not joking and that he would arrange for her and her daughter to move to the United States and live in his home with him. And she ended up accepting his proposal and um, he arranged for her to get a fiance visa and then they would have 90 days to get married before the visa expired. A la 90 day fiance. Do you guys watch our show? Nope. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just you, you weirdo. I actually don't watch that show. What? Come on. No, I don't. I promise. I don't. I, that is, that's my threshold of garbage. Like it goes housewives and then I have to cut it off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 90 day fiance is too much for me. Yeah. Um, anyway, Atina and her daughter moved to Mejia, Texas in January of 2011. Um, and Ray was going to train her to manage the office. Um, so wow, he gets a wife and um an, an employee. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they plan to get married on April 4th, which would be her 31st birthday. But five days before the wedding, on March 31st, 2011, police received a 911 call. Um, and Mary Jacoby was on the other line, hysterically screaming, he's been shot, he's been shot. And so when the police arrived on scene, they discovered that the person that had been shot was 56-year-old Ray Jacoby. He was laying face down right behind the front entrance gate of the um, scrapyard. And Mary was there with him and was frantically speaking to somebody on the phone when when they got there. They saw that he had a wound to his chest um, and paramedics raced him to the hospital. when the police arrived, they thought that the shooter could possibly still be on the scene. So they drew their guns and started searching the whole scrapyard. Um, when they spoke to Mary, she told the police that she had called Ray around 6.50 a.m. to let him know that she would be coming around the scrapyard. And he said that he was still eating breakfast, but that he'd come open the gate when he was done. Um, she said she waited about 10 to 15 minutes to go over there. And when she pulled up, she saw that the gate was open and that Ray was laying on the ground face down. She ran over to see what was wrong, and but she said that he was making a coughing and gurgling sound. And that's when she saw the bullet wound and realized that he had been shot. So she ran back to the car and called the police. Um, now, due to the nature of the business of the scrapyard, um, they would keep large amounts of cash on hand, like $15,000 at a time because they would need it for payouts. You know, oh, people right. would bring yeah. scrap. So um, the police you, you certainly- act, you, you talk like you really know about the scrapyard business. You know, due to the nature <laughs> of scrapping in a yard. Um, what kind of, what kind of scrap know? do people bring? Well, in my experience, uh, <laughs> fenders, uh-huh. um, <laughs> Barrels, empty barrels. That empty barrels can get quite a good amount of cash. Uh, <laughs> yes, why copper. You keep all the cash on copper, <laughs> copper pipes. Uh huh. <laughs> copper is like worth its weight in gold. They say <laughs> that's they actual say gold. That. <laughs> that's another thing that comes to the scrapyard. Gold um, and. Uh, Puka shell necklaces. That's another. I don't know. Listen, give me a break. <laughs> I did as much research as I could. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so they, so the police thought that this could definitely be a robbery gone wrong. You know, because of yeah. the the cash that was, and plus, like shady people go usually to scrapyards. 
You know, that's why I don't know a lot, Sally. I'm not You're sh- shady. Piss off our scrapper. Sorry, yeah, you're right. There's not. <laughs> Take that back. Scrappers, show Let's yourself. <laughs> dial that back. That's not a fair thing to say. That's something that Snap said, and I was influenced by their words, but I don't know that I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. So strike that from the record. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, so uh, robbery gone wrong, possibly. And so Atina and her daughter were on the property, as was Mary's son's 21-year-old girlfriend, Kayla, went. Um, so her son was actually in jail at the time, but they let his girlfriend live on the property while he was incarcerated. And so the police located all three of them. And um, took them down to the police station uh, for gunshot residue testing and questioning. Not the 10-year-old daughter. Um, they didn't, like, test her or question her. But they it married Kayla and Atina's. Yeah. Agent. Police found nobody else on site. The only thing that they did find were two bullet holes right near the fence where he was shot. But they did see that the office was open and that there was a ton of cash sitting there. And, and a bunch of guns as well, but nothing was taken. No cash was taken. No guns were taken. So it was not a robbery. I mean, um, when are people going to learn that, like, if you're going to stage a robbery, do a rob robbery. something. Exactly. Rob it. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> so <clears throat> unfortunately, during this time, Ray was pronounced dead at the hospital. So Ray did not make it. Mm. Um, so when the police chief broke the news to Mary that Ray had passed away. She fell to the ground and was like hyperventilating and crying to the point where they had to call in EMS because she was so upset. But when they told Atina, she just kind of looked at the ground and didn't show any emotion. So what police know is that at 655, Ray was alive because that is when the phone call was placed from Mary to Ray. But that at, by 7.06, he had been shot because that is when she called the police to report that he had been shot. So what happened in those 11 minutes is what yeah. they need to figure out. So when the police interviewed Kayla, her Mary's son's girlfriend, um, she really didn't have any information. She said she was sleeping and she slept through everything. Um, her answer to everything was pretty much, I don't know. You know, she just didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, But when they interviewed Atina, she was super cooperative, but there was a language barrier. She told the police that if they spoke slowly, she could understand them. And so she tried to understand them and she told the police that um, Mary had called Ray early in the morning, told him that she was coming to the scrapyard and he was super annoyed because it was so early in the morning. And then she told the police that after breakfast, she started cleaning the office. And when she looked outside the window, she saw Mary in the truck outside so then she told ray hey mary's here she's outside and then that's when he finished his breakfast and went out there so if that's true then mary was there before he was shot so um then she said that ray left to go meet mary and when she walked to the back of the office um she heard a boom but she didn't think much of it because like there were always loud noises at the scrapyard you know because of the scrap right Mm-hmm. You name three kinds of scrap. <laughs> I mean, I can you do it? All the big ones, yeah. Fine. Uh, um, uh, carburetors, yeah. Um, <laughs> old air conditioners, <laughs> okay. And okay. tin cans, tin cans, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those Boom. are all scrap. Okay. <laughs> so after the police spoke to her, they were 
um, pretty convinced that she didn't have anything to do with it, Atina, because she really had no motive. In fact, like it was kind of the opposite of a motive. Like she was about to marry this guy and then she could stay in the United States. So why would she want him to be dead? Because then she would be deported. Oh, so they weren't married yet. No, it was five oh, okay. days before the wedding. Gotcha. I know mm-hmm. you said that and I just yeah, forgot. You were too <laughs> hung up on scrap. Yep. So anyway, uh, they asked um, her if she thought that Mary could have shot Ray. And she said that she really didn't think that Mary would do that. And when the police interviewed Mary, they told it, uh, her that Atina said that she saw her in the truck right before Mary uh, before Ray was shot and Mary just said that she was mistaken, that there's no way that that was true, that she didn't get there until after Ray was shot. Yeah. Um, they asked Mary if she was upset that Ray was about to marry Atina. And she told them that not only was she not upset, but she was happy about it because she said um, that she, she, this was quote, what she said was um, she said, I mean, I, I thought she was going to clean my house and take care of me when I retire. Why would I want her dead? Like, what the fuck? Oh, I know. All these. I know. And so (laughs) Mary was being cooperative um, and the police, um, uh, and she even let the police look at her phone. And when they looked at her phone, they saw that she did call Ray early that morning, but a number had called her at 6.01 a.m. And it was a man named Dennis. And they asked her why she would get a call that early in the morning. And she said, oh, it was just a guy that was coming to look at the property, like wanted to, or wanted to see a piece of property or something. And mm-hmm. so they were like, why would, and they asked her, why would he call you at six o'clock in the morning? And she said, oh, he knows I get up early. And she seemed to have an answer for everything. Yeah. And um, even though all three women were tested for gunshot residue, the results wouldn't come in for months. So they just had to let everybody go. And so when the police looked further into Mary's phone calls, um, they saw that this guy, his name is Dennis Kelly. um, He would call Mary's phone about 30 times a day. For like weeks. So he wasn't like just a uh, some guy coming to see a piece of property or whatever. And so it turns out that um, 45 year old Dennis Kelly was actually a former employee of the scrapyard. He's years earlier. He worked there and him and Ray had um, not a great relationship. In fact, they had actually gotten into a fist fight at one point and the police were called. So Mary told the police that he lived in Dallas. But when the police tracked his cell phone pings, they were able to see that he was in Mejia the morning of the murder. So, and the pings show that he left Dallas, drove to Mejia, then left Mejia and drove back to Dallas right after the murder. Mm -hmm. Well, now he he was looking at property. Right, right. True, true. So now he's the prime suspect. So the police are trying to track him down, which is very hard to do. Apparently he was uh, very hard to find. So when the police are tracking, trying to track down Dennis Kelly, they started interviewing anyone that knew Ray and Mary. Um, And while Mary told the police that she got along with Ray, everybody else was like, oh, they hated each other. Yeah. Hated. An employee stated that um, 10 days before the murder, he drove Ray to the airport. And when he got back to to the scrapyard, Mary said, if that plane would crash, it would take care of her problem. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, what the hell, Mary? Yeah. And so, and on April 15th, 2001, 
Um, Robin and Kim Debney, who were friends of uh, Ray and Mary's, walked into the police station. And that's when they told the police that in October of 2009, when Ray was in the Philippines visiting Atina, Mary offered Robin 30K to kill Ray. Mary, what you doing? In a sloppy, sloppy mess. (laughs) And so... Um, They were having dinner at the scrapyard and she just casually brought it up. She said that um, for uh, she told him that he should make it look like a robbery and that she would find the body and would take care of um, them for the rest of their lives. And she actually put $15,000 on the table and said, I'll give you half now and half after it's done. Yeah. And so they both offered to take polygraphs, which the police were like, sure, yeah. And it was determined that they were both telling the truth. Yeah. But they still couldn't arrest Mary because this is all circumstantial evidence. And so it wasn't until July 6th, four months after the murder, that the police finally tracked down Dennis Kelly. They actually found him in Henderson Henderson County because he was in jail um, for an unrelated charge. Uh, Um, (laughs) I know. Who knew? (laughs) Um, And so he told police that he had nothing to do with the murder and that fight years ago was just a stupid misunderstanding about a missing tire. Tires are also at this group. Oh, oh, I forgot about tires. Fucking tires. So, but he ended up um, shutting down the interview and like refused to talk after that. He wouldn't cooperate at all. So the case was at a complete standstill. But in September the um, gunshot residue test finally came in. And so gunshot residue tests, and yes, I am an expert on gunshot residue because <laughs> I Googled it. I wasn't going to ask any okay. questions. <laughs> so listen, in case you don't know about gunshot residue testing, they test for three elements. I'll tell you what the elements are. They are lead, they're antimony, they are barium. And yes, I Googled that. <laughs> So, because you are a journalist in you order do your for research it to <laughs> determine that it is from firing a gun, high concentrations of all three need to be in the same area of the skin that was tested. Okay? Okay. 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 And so, and on Mary, <laughs> it came back with all three elements. Yeah. Yeah. So they were so close to having an, enough to arrest Mary, but the DA said, we still just need that one last piece of evidence. So they still I mean, didn't do arrest they? her. Do they? Well, I mean, she tried to, like, she. Yeah. somebody saw her. There's an eyewitness. There's also, so that puts her at the spot. There's physical evidence. There's circumstantial evidence that she, like, Okay. You know, had had tried to solicit his murder. Right. What okay. more do you need? It's funny you should say that because listen to how infuriating this is. So Mary, for the ne- over the next five years, Mary took over the scrapyard. She took over the business. And Atina and Charmaine, her daughter, still lived there, but they were, like, terrified of Mary. Yeah. Um, so Ray's um, son came in when he heard that she was still there and took over the scrapyard and fired Mary. Um, and in 2016, Mary's son, um, Chapin, was re- released from prison. So now that Mary is jobless, her and her son ended up moving together to George West, Texas to start a new life. It was like she had gotten away with murder. And yeah. so um, Ray's son, Ron, and his mother would call the police almost daily asking, like, when are you going to arrest her? When are you going to arrest her? When are you going to arrest her? And even though they didn't get any more evidence since, since five years ago when they had all that other evidence, at one point they were like, all right, we'll arrest her. So Which for is- five fucking years, 
she went unarrested, not arrested, unarrested, <laughs> under arrested, um, and definitely so, under arrested, <laughs> lacking arrest, and so um, she. So for five years, but then they're like, okay, we'll do it. And so on April 22nd, 2016, they finally arrested her. And she wasn't even surprised. She didn't even like fight the arrest. She was like, thanks for the last five years, guys. Yeah. Like, so now Dennis Kelly is out of jail. And six months um, before um, the trial, the police met with him. And he admitted that Mary offered to pay him to kill Ray for 30 K which matched the story that her friends had told the police. So that's kind of corroboration. And then um, the, so the press doing the trial prosecution claimed that her motive to kill Ray was that once Ray married a Tina, she would be pushed out of the business and in order to prevent that she had to kill Ray. Um, So she couldn't find anybody to do it. She had tried to get two different people to do it, so she did it herself. And Atina testified that she saw Mary at the gate right before the murder, um, and Mary's timeline proved to be false. And then the gunshot residue showed all three elements present on her skin where it would have been. Um, and so was Dennis involved? Probably. Oh, yeah, his phone. Yeah, probably. But it still looks like Mary pulled the trigger. Yeah. So after just two hours of jury deliberating, they found her guilty and she was sentenced to life in prison. So she is serving, currently serving a life sentence in prison in central Texas. And to this day, Dennis had not been charged with any involvement at all in the crime. And um, Atina is now married and um, she has a second child. So she's doing good and living her life. Well, that's good. Yeah. I hope she Mm -hmm. got married to someone who didn't like, just come find her right right yeah i hope she married for love yeah well um that's a good story good job good job snapped and good job good job me yeah (laughs) good job you thank you (laughs) our best little journalist (laughs) wobble beep type 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 (laughs) go 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 Okay. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a story that made me cry? Yes. Uh, yes. But like in a in a beautiful way. Okay. In a beautiful way. Yeah. Okay. So I know it is after Christmas, but this is a story that has a little bit to do with Christmas. I got my information from a story in the Washington Post by Marissa Lang. Um, from WTOP.com by Dick Uliano and from Bethesda Magazine by M. Espy. 82-year-old Vincent Gibbs is the guy in the neighborhood who puts up all the Christmas lights. Like every Christmas – he's like the guy that you go – the house that you take your kids to go see because the, he always goes all out. All of his neighbors um, in his quiet Maryland suburb know him as Mr. Christmas. He has all the lights. He has all the figurines. He puts two trees up in his like windows. He has a hundred-year-old nativity scene that takes up his entire living room. And he like lets people come in the house. Everybody knows him as Mr. Christmas. 
But this year, his house has remained undecorated um, for the first time in years because he is undergoing intensive treatments for melanoma. So Mm. he just has not – has been too sick to put anything up. His good friend, Paula Sweeney, um, said that he is just getting weaker and weaker fighting this thing. And she knows – I'm going to call him Mr. Gibbs because she knows him as she was a former student of his. Um, Mr. Gibbs taught English and drama at Peary High School from 1962 until it closed in 1984. He was a theater director. He directed over 40 theater productions, and he influenced the lives of over 10,000 students. So one day, Paula and Mr. Gibbs were talking um, this was in late October, and he was kind of, you know, he's he's has this illness, um, and so he was kind of reflecting on like what is his legacy, right? And what is the impact he had as an educator? He asked Paula. He said, "Do you think I really made a difference?" And that is when Paula said she knew that she could do something to help Mr. Gibbs feel like it was Christmas after all. She got in touch with another former student, Joe Fabareski. And together, they hatched a plan. Joe said of Mr. Gibbs, she said, he changes in a lot of ways. He's a very compassionate person. He always has time for people, even people he doesn't know. So the two of them together put out a call to students who were former students of Mr. Gibbs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And those students came through. So last Saturday afternoon, nearly 100 adults, all former students of Peary High, all former students of Mr. Gibbs all got met in a parking lot and got onto a Montgomery County school bus. Some of them had on Santa hats. Some of them had on their old, like 50-year-old Letterman jackets. And they all went to Mr. Gibbs' house. Aww. Yeah. So they, while they were in the bus, they were all like calling out their graduation years and um, and kind of like reunited with classmates. And one man was like, I didn't even realize school buses had heat now. <laughs> Another one was like, and seatbelts. So they pulled up to his house and he had no idea they were coming. And Paula and Joe had put up a large black and white photo of Mr. Gibbs, like 50 years ago, holding a rose in between their teeth. And that's, they said, that's how they remember him is just like full of life. He always had flair. Um, they said that his impact on them was immeasurable. I mean, you can imagine like these are people who, I mean, they, he was their teacher in the 60s, 70s and 80s, like, and wow. they still remember him and that they came, they all came when they were called. So he taught them, they said he taught them how to understand and appreciate the arts and that several of his students went on to have careers in theater and film, including Paula, who has been a Broadway actress for the last 30 years. And a lot of the students recalled how Mr. Gibbs would always introduce his 11th grade students to John Steinbeck reading uh, by reading of Mice and Men aloud, and he did every voice and sound effect along the way. And so while they were all there, they're all out on his lawn, um, and one of them played a clip of Mr. Gibbs reading of mice and men, and people started crying because oh, he used God. to do it every year. And she, they, Joe Fabrowski said it was a performance. It was like a radio play. He did everybody's voice and made it very theatrical. If you mention it to any of his students, they're going to recall it. And actually, Patty Moscosco, who's a former student of his, she now teaches fourth grade, and she plays that recording for her fourth grade students. And she told Mr. Gibbs that she wa- they all wanted her to tell him thank you on their behalf. 
Um, so this, so they went to his house. They began. They sung Christmas carols just to bring the Christmas spirit to him, to bring it back to like Mister Christmas. So they did. They had like bell chimes. They all like as they're singing. His small face. They said small face appeared in the second story window, and as soon as he came out, they all started yelling, "Mister Gibbs, we love you." Um, and he waved and he came out. He had a Santa hat on his head and a patch over his left eye. There were 11 students who organized themselves across the road so that he could see from his window. And they all held up like handwritten notes on poster board for him to read that said, uh-huh. Dear Mr. Gibbs, you did what teachers hope to do. Make an impression. <laughs> this made you cry. I don't know why. Make an impression. Make a difference. You're not afraid to be yourself as a teacher and as an individual. That in itself is an inspiration. You shared what you loved and passed it on to us, us, your students. Thank you. So most of the people live in the D.C. area, but some, like this man, David Miller, came from out of state. He flew in from Denver just to come to this. Um, He said, I felt like I had to go and see him and wave and say, Merry Christmas and thank you for all you did. So neighbors came out as, you know, as this like crowd was there, the postal worker came, came by and then one by one, all of his former students got on the microphone to offer up speeches and thank yous to talk about the impact that he made on them. Um, They even had like a trophy made to present to their former teacher. When Paula took the microphone, she said, I love you. Don't be mad at me for doing this. And she said, Mr. Gibbs, you were without a doubt the singular most positive influence on so many of your students' academic lives. You encouraged, demanded that we dig deep, that we work hard, learn much, and take with us into our lives the knowledge that if we reach for the stars and put in the effort to achieve, anything can happen. Um, Another man, Reverend Bill Thomas, said, you took a risk and gave me an opportunity of a lifetime that changed my life and opened up a whole new world for me. And I thank you for that investment. Um, Reverend Thomas said that he like had his horizons were limited to high school sports until Mr. Gibbs introduced him to the performing arts. Um, Eventually, the group joined to sing Silent Night and everybody like started to cry. And then eventually someone passed Mr. Gibbs a microphone And he said, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't believe so many people would show up. This is one of the most memorable occasions of my life. Um, Yeah, he teased his former pupils. He said, you didn't love me quite so much 50 years ago when I gave you B's and C's instead of A's um, or pushed you to memorize vocabulary words. The afternoon ended when they all did a rendition of Impossible Dream from Man of La Mancha, which was one of the productions that he directed. And he said, I love you all so much for showing up. And I want to see each and every one of you next year. Um, He said that he is going to plan a party when he's feeling better. He said, I'm going to do it unless I'm gone with the wind. But he said, everybody is invited. Oh, that is so sweet. So sweet. I just love that story of like, it's like, of course, we all wonder like, what impact have we made in this life? And just to like have that experience of, oh, wow people from like 40 years ago are showing up just to say thank you and to make me feel good, you know? I mean, yeah. Can you imagine like knowing that you have left like such a legacy? I know. And such an impression on people? Yeah. Um, That's, 
Oh, God. That's amazing. I love that story. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I know. I hope you get an update on how he's doing and how he's feeling. Yeah. I hope that we get an update on the party that they have when he is feeling better. Right? Me too. Yeah. I'll get, well, I'm a journalist as well, so I'll keep an eye out. Yes. Please do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. I understand that this is after the holidays when this is going to air, but this we are still – pre-Christmas when we are recording this. Sorry, guys. That's just the magic of podcast making. <laughs> we time travel. Um, and I, what, I don't know if I've done this. Like, stop me if I've done this every Christmas uh-huh. uh, for the last three years for something dumb. But holy shit, that fucking elf on the shelf. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I just – it infuriates me every year. Okay, yeah. my daughter especially lives for it. She yeah. absolutely loves it. She needs this elf to do something different every single day. But the person that invented – I know it's like a mother and daughter. They invented it together. They're bajillionaires now and we're all fucking chumps yeah. staying up late at night trying to make these elves do stupid shit. Yeah. And it's – or – and if – you forget if you fail, then your child is left feeling disappointed and questioning if, um, you know, Santa exists. Right. And it's just like, it's so much pressure, especially for like working moms, for single working moms. It's like we do everything. We work all fucking day. We've like, before anybody even gets up in the morning, we've already like by 7 a.m., we've already made breakfast, lunch, and started dinner. Got kids off to school. Go we we go work a full day. We like do all these things, and then at the end of the night, when you are so tired, yeah. so tired, and ready to crash, <laughs> like you still have to remember, like, oh shit, I gotta I stay up another out. few hours <laughs> to wait for my kids, to, like to make sure my kids yeah. are asleep, so I can make this elf, like I don't know, snort snowflakes or like steal a car <laughs> or something. It's so infuriating. Now, I don't do like all that. I know like there are parents that will like go all out and make these like big crazy scenes and stuff like doing like snow angels out of powdered sugar. You know what I mean? Or whatever. I don't believe that those people are doing that for their kids. I believe those people are doing it for the internet. Oh, They're yeah. doing it for the likes. Yeah. I think you're Which right. I guess it's fine too. I think you're right. It's about them. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, so I just, you know, move it into a funny position somewhere across the room or whatever. But yeah. there have been so many nights where like I have woken up in a panic and be like, oh my God, I didn't move the elf. Or like, <laughs> or there have been times where I like in the beginning, I of the month, like Louise is like, I guess it didn't want to move last night, you know, and I'm like, yeah. fuck, <laughs> like, and I feel oh, so terrible. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I just, oh, I only have a few, few more days left of this stupid thing, and I can't wait to pack it away till next year. But yeah. I just feel like the expectations for parents, it's just that's just something we didn't need. No. Mom and daughter who are now filthy fucking rich and like probably laying on a beach somewhere yeah. with like not a sh- elf in sight. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. I just want to say, so for anybody who has a young kid who yeah. is considering whether or not you Oh, yeah. I forgot. You have a really good anti-elf in the shelf idea. You don't have to get one. 
Like you don't have to get an elf. Like that's, we just tell, like we tell our kids, like you get to opt in or out and we opted out. <laughs> we opted out because we would never remember. But we do do a, like a, we do have an elf that comes, but he just brings little things in an advent calendar every day. So we still have to remember something. See, my least- kids have an advent calendar too. And Sully, being vegan, I had to go buy him a very special <laughs> vegan advent calendar, which is 12 times more expensive than a regular advent calendar. <laughs> it's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> I know. God bless uh, parents everywhere. Yeah. yeah. For it's, real. Uh, it's, it's a lot this time of year. It's but yeah. To- Let's we'll create this magic, you know? If you have not yet subscribed to Elf on the Shelf antics, Don't. I would do what Sally does. Yes, because I think that's the thing is like you get it the first year and you have energy because your kids are little and you're like – oh, I want this to be magical for him. But you don't – it's like getting a puppy. Like once you get it, you have to have it every year. Yeah. So just uh-huh. don't get it. And they have pets. <laughs> That's the thing too. They have pets. So this elf has a reindeer at my house. Their elf – they have a totally different elf at their dad's house. That elf has a St. Bernard. And then the pets have to do stupid shit too. It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> so – that's my something dumb. The something yeah. I love, also holiday related. Um, I don't know if it, it'll still be available, I'm sure, after the holidays, but on Netflix, Murderville. Um, have you guys seen Murder? Have you seen Murder? I hadn't <laughs> seen it, but my brother told me about the Who Killed Santa one. And when he mentioned Jason Bateman was on it, I had to watch it. <laughs> so, like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, it's my boyfriend. And so <laughs> I, um, I watched it. It was so fucking funny. I was crying. I was laughing so hard to the point where the kids were like, what is wrong with you? They kept running into my office like, why are you laughing so hard? (laughs) It's hosted by Will Arnett. And then it's kind of like there's a scenario of someone was murdered. And then they bring in celebrities to improv and try to solve the murder. And um, I hadn't seen the prior episodes, but this one, like someone – killed santa and then they brought in jason mm-hmm. bateman then they brought in maya rudolph and then they brought in another person which i'll let you guys see who it is but they um but it was so funny like maya rudolph especially was hysterical in it i was crying so i was laughing so hard i know so um i uh highly recommend it if you just want to watch something for an hour that'll just make you laugh the whole time all right i love that all right. i'm not really an I'm improv in. person i'll be honest with you oh. but this made me laugh so hard yeah. I mean, it is like most improv, just like most stand up, is bad. <laughs> like, it is bad. But when you see someone, when you see like a group of people do really good improv, it is magical. Like, there's nothing funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very rare. <laughs> you have to be. And they're all really phenomenal. good friends, you know, yeah. and they're making each other laugh. It's just fun. Yeah. So let's see. My something dumb. I think just like, yeah, holiday, holiday burnout, like just getting, which is a lot. It's just a lot, Jen. It's a it lot. It's a lot. Um, but the something that I love is I haven't talked about this on the podcast, but I signed a contract to publish my book. Yes. Yeah. So the book I wrote that we've talked about a million times that I've been like not doing anything with, but then trying to do something with and then not. And then anyway, I finally um, 
I'd sent it out like at the end of like in September to just a few places and I had a publisher offer me a book contract and I signed it um, at the end of November and I'm so excited. So look out for my book in like a year and a half, <laughs> but um, I'm learning a lot about publishing and how long everything takes, but I am, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. My book about the Appalachian Trail, about um, hiking it and uh, meeting Ben and all of that is, uh, it's actually, it's going to be a for real book that you can hold in your hand. So I know it is um, so exciting and I'm so is. proud of you. And Thank the book you. is incredible and I'm so, so excited for everyone to read it. Yeah. So I will, obviously I'll be talking more about that as kind of the process goes along, but for now we're just excited, just excited. It's going to happen. It's yes. going to happen. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to happen. It's funny because uh, Sally and I had vision boards. I I don't have it anymore. I think I like lost hope for everything. <laughs> but for a long time, we had uh, vision boards. And uh, Sally's book being published was on both of our vision boards. We just really yeah. wanted that to happen. Um, and, and, and it, it did. Happened. And that's, know. it's so exciting to see it happen. Yeah, I know. Well, I had, um, it like, I, it was one of the things. So like this last year I was like, I really like, I turned 45. Um, and I was like, before I turn 45, I want to put out another album. Just want this book to be like, I want somebody to like to have a book contract and it have, I like, I got the offer like three days before my birthday. And, and it kind of came out of the blue. I had kind of forgotten I sent it to this one publisher. Like you just don't hear for a couple months. Like they don't, you know, sometimes you don't hear for a year and then they'll get back to you. And so um, just like that, it kind of came out of the blue. Like I had to like do a double take. I was like, wait, is this real? Is this a real thing that somebody wants to do it? So anyway, I feel like the vision board really, really came through. Yeah. Maybe we should make some new ones. We should. Let's do that. Yeah, and then we talked about this when I think when we made the first time, but this is something that uh, that Jen and I have done, and that I've done with my friend Grace, and um, is like put your friends on your vision board, put your friends' dreams yeah. and their hopes on your vision board, and they will do the same for you. And I, it's just you know, just double your chances. <laughs> it's like buying two yeah. lottery tickets. <laughs> totally, I'll split it with you. Yeah, I feel like it can't it can't can't hurt, but it definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> for sure um well listen i'm so happy that we are back baby um yes, me too. i it feels good it feels right um and you know what i feel like like even though we're not doing the podcast happy town this kind of is happy town you know, you know what I'm saying? it really is you know uh-huh. <laughs> it really is happy it really town. is really is cute yeah um, <laughs> happy town theme song uh-huh well, does true crime bring you down? Do you see death all around? Well, don't you worry, people follow Jen and Sally down to Happy Town. We got to get our money. Um, But you guys, we love you so much. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, If you want to get in touch with us, you know where to find us on all the socials. It's at Dumb Love Podcast. Um, You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You know what we would love if you would rate and review, kind of like kick us back up in the ratings um, and then tell two friends. You know what? 
we're going big this year. Tell a couple friends. Tell them Dumb Love is back, baby, and it's better than ever, and you got to listen. All right? Yes. Do all of those things, um, and we dumb love you so much. Um, and don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-